Welcome to The Game Doctor, where I, Dr. Phil, diagnose games on how fun they are, offer evidence-based strategy advice, and give a second opinion on what could make games even better. And of course, this is the home of the Rosen blog. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, everyone. This is Phil. I'm coming at you solo with this episode and recording on New Year's Eve. And so with the very last day of 2022, I thought it would be fun and appropriate to talk about the top 10 games from 2022. Now, I did put in the title the quote unquote most objective list uh, of top games for 2022. And I want to explain. And of course, you know, it. <laughs> Maybe maybe you think it's clickbait or or what have you, uh, because every pretty much everything in, in board games is subjective. But um, hear me out. <laughs> so back in 2019, right at the cusp of when I was really getting into board games, um, I was looking for obviously some games to try out and explore. Uh, this is right around the time that I was you know um, getting into Agricola. I want to say it was 2019 or maybe maybe in 2020, but I ran into a list on the internet. I don't know where it's posted now, uh, if it's on the Geek or elsewhere, but this uh, individual had posted a similar list where they compiled like the top 100 games of all time, according to many different review- reviewers, right? People such as uh, the folks from Dice Tower, Rado, etc., who make a living reviewing board games and compiling all the lists of, of those who are, you know, proliferant in reviews and experience with board games and, and putting it out there as content. They compiled all of those lists together and formulated a top 100 list, you know, to compare with uh, Board Game Geek, you know, which is the gold standard these days for, um, definitively ranking board games and it was quite different um, compared to the board game geek list believe a feast for odin at the time was the number one game of all time uh, compared to gloomhaven on board game geek and so of course it's it's a smaller sample size if if you're to you know look at it uh, objectively uh, and statistically the, the power of the study is definitely less than compared to the, uh, the rating and, and numbers of votes and, and ratings on the Geek, Board Game Geek. And there is an a argument about you know, how things are rated on Board Game Geek, which we won't get into today. But in, in that same spirit, you know, I, I wanted to, as, you know, I, as am I and probably you are want to uh, listen to... Uh, reviews of the top 10 games of 2022 games that are just released uh, during this year and just kind of reflecting on your experiences as well as those of you know those of uh, the people who review games professionally or you know semi-professionally and I thought it would be fun to kind of combine those two experiences that I had where as I listened to many of the uh, reviewers that I subscribe to on YouTube to compile their lists in a spreadsheet, assign the scores of each board game that they've ranked from, you know, one to 10 to one, you know, with inverse amount of points there. 
So scoring, you know, if you rank it number one, you get 10 points and so on and so forth. And compiling it all into a list to see which games uh, most people in this small community of, of people who, you know, play board games and talk about them professionally uh, had to say about them and where they rank them and to see which one came out on top. And so, you know, of course, I, I can't account for the experiences that these folks had had when playing and reviewing these games. If it's just one play versus multiple, you know, if they played solo versus with other people as well. You know, it, it every experience is subjective, but whatever that experience was, if it was good enough for them, even if it's just after one play to place it on a top 10 list and put it out there you know, at least it, lay, it left a really good first impression to to make it onto a list that uh, many people would see and be influenced by. Uh, for me, myself, you know, this is ve- it was very enlightening to see which games I want to target next on my list of games to play, since there are so many games out there anyway. And as we continue to, you know, keep on track with the hotness and, and the latest games on Kickstarter and that are being released... Um, I wanted to focus in a little bit more on some of the games that I may have missed this last year that I did not have time to play. And uh, so, yeah, this this list was very eye-opening to me, and hopefully it's uh, enlightening to you as well, and at the very least, enjoyable. <laughs> so let's get into it. I guess I should mention before we get started that, you know, as I do play through some more of these these 2022 games and get more plays under my belt, Maybe halfway through the year, uh, next year, very similar to how Paul Grogan does um, when when he comes out with his uh, best year or 10 games of the year previous. Uh, so right now he released his best 2021 games. Um, I, I do approve and appreciate that approach to uh, really having time to to savor some of these games that you've played, um, to act upon the first impressions that you may have had. Or even give some games a second chance, depending on, you know, the play, you know, what time you played it at, or how many players you played it with, etc. Just to give every game a fair shot, and to um, appropriately rank it. And so, I may do that as well, halfway through the year. And, uh, but, in any case, uh, as of now, since we are, as a community, talking about these top uh, 10 games from 2022, let's go ahead and see what everyone as a consensus uh, came together with. And also for, uh, for you know, your uh, curiosity, uh, let me just leave you with some, some stats here from what I've compiled. I was able to compile 60 individual uh, reviews uh, from YouTube. Uh, some of these are multiple people on one channel. So of course there's some overlap when, you know, multiple people have played the same game and it may appear on the list twice. But, you know, more often than not, uh, a lot of these people who have the time and the the energy and the effort to <laughs> put forth reviews on board game or on on YouTube about board games regularly, they they have pretty mixed views and, and games on their list. So I didn't feel too bad about that. So anyway, so yeah, sixty individuals with rankings. Uh, some of them, you know, only gave their top uh, game of the year, right? And I counted that. Uh, some of them included games from past years. I did not include those. For one exception, that did exceptionally well, and that's for the reason uh, which is difficult to make lists around this time of year. Another argument that Paul Grogan makes is that a lot of these games 
you know, at the end of the year, Essen time, even Gen Con, uh, sometimes the global release of these games isn't quite fulfilled at the time of these recordings at the end of the year. And so many people, you know, some people have had the chance to play these and review them. Most people have not. And so a lot of the, the games from Essen may not appear on this list per se. You'll, um, I'll, I'll go through some honorable mentions, you know, the 11 through 20 real quick. Uh, but, you know, and, and that's another reason why I want to reapproach this list again halfway through. Not only my personal tastes and 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 thoughts on these games from 2022, but I think it would be fun to see how well these games are being placed uh, or ranked on BoardGameGeek uh, about halfway through next year. Once enough people have had a, enough chance to uh, chances to play these games. So, yeah, so 60 people and how many games you may think, you know, did people rank from 2022 individually? A total of 54 individual games were mentioned on this list. And so, yeah, so quite a few games um, that people enjoyed. I really like the spread of games. I mean, I'm sure there's what, you know, thousands of games that are released uh, around this time to see. 54 of them, I think, uh, really narrows down the field to which games are uh, worth trying or worth looking into, even if they were only ranked once at rank 10. If that stood above, you know, the thousands of other games that came before it, I think that is worth checking out. And, you know, obviously for time reasons, we won't talk about the games, you know, number 54, 3, etc. We'll just focus on the, the top portion of the list. But still, I thought that was pretty interesting. So the number 10 game had a score of 64 points in total, and that was Heat, Pedal to the Metal. It was mentioned by 14 individual raiders, and its highest ranking vote was number 3 on multiple lists, and including number 5 in the People's List featured on the Dice Tower. Of note, it is currently uh, in the top 10 uh, latest hotness on BoardGameGeek and has been there for a couple of days already, so this is a game that is highly spoken of recently. This game is published by Days of Wonder by a group of, of designers, uh, Asker Grenode and Daniel Peterson, who I believe were involved with another racing game called Flam Rouge, which I've heard about before. And supposedly this is a, a like a re-implementation or a, kind of a redo of, of that game in concept. Uh, instead of with bikes, with um, formula uh, racing cars. Uh, it plays one to six players, uh, and it plays in about 30 to 60 minutes, according to Board Game Geek. Its weight is a 2.17, uh, and it's def- it's um, listed as a family-rated uh, game, r- currently ranked 73 on the family uh, list, and overall 518. This is a game I have not played yet, but I'm hoping to. Um, it, it seems like a pretty straightforward game where you're racing uh, your engine and you, in broad concepts, you're using a deck of cards and hand management to manage how fast you're going through these these tracks. Uh, one thing that I keep hearing about is the way that you can navigate through curves by having to slow down and uh, the balance that you have to slow down and, you know, race appropriately, you know, at certain points of the track uh, you are adding heat cards, I think, to your deck. Um, and so while, you know, it feels like, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to manage a race, you know, realistically by, um, 
you know, appropriately speeding up and down through different areas of the track. This is simulated with these heat uh, cards being uh, clogging, you know, being added to your deck and clogging it uh, as, you know, cards often do in, in deck builders. And so, you know, managing that aspect of the game is, I think, kind of the mechanism that they're approaching to to implementing this racing game, which sounds a lot of like a lot of fun. And in addition to that, there's a lot that comes in this box with multiple you know, tracks to race on a camp, like a campaign kind of thing, like a Grand Prix type of setup as well, which seems really fun. Um, I've heard that this racing game is pretty tight as well. And so it kind of adds to that, you know, race to the finish type of um, experience for all to enjoy. And so this is definitely one that I am looking to try out. Uh, I know there is a solo mode um, included, so it makes it easier for me to try it out. But hey, you know, if, if I like it enough, then we could probably bring it out with with our family and friends and and see how that goes. And so, yeah, I'm uh, really excited to see uh, Heat on this list. It barely made it in, <laughs> crossed the finish line barely in 10th place. Now, number nine to the list is a game that most people know about. And the reason that I kind of added the asterisk at the beginning where, you know, this game was available in 2021 uh, for release, but most people did not obtain it until this year, and that's Arc Nova. You can see how close these scores are because Heat came in with a score of 64, uh, while Arc Nova barely skidded by with 65. I think this is really poignant, and I think it reflects the group think of how well Arc Nova has been received, but this game was only mentioned eight times uh, out of the uh, multiple reviewers that I witnessed. Um, out of those eight, six of them placed it as their number one game from this year. Uh, it obviously plays uh, places really high for me. I, I spent the last or one of the last podcast episodes talking about my experiences with Arc Nova after ten plays, primarily solo, um, but with some multiplayer plays as well. And so for my in-depth thoughts on the game, you can go and check that out. But, I mean, there's there's not a lot to say about Arc Nova other than it's been a smash hit. Um, you know, it shares a lot of, of DNA with popular games that have come before it and implements it uh, that mecha those mechanisms with a theme that's very approachable, um, you know, with, with the zoo and animals and, and everything. And so um, it for me, creates a really elegant experience. It's frustrating at times. It can be long, of course. But um, as this game continues to be supported, I think it will become a very well-established game and continue to trend very high uh, on the rankings and on BoardGameGeek. So that's number nine, Arc Nova. So number eight is Carnegie. And Carnegie uh, had a score of 66, one point ahead of Arc Nova. It was mentioned by 14 individual reviewers, and particularly the number one game as voted by the Patreon users on Paul Grogan's site, um, Gaming Rules, right? <laughs> uh, so for what it's worth, it, it, it did appear quite a bit on these lists. This is a game published by uh, Quinted Games, uh, created by Xavier Georges, who is in you know, involved in games such as Twa and uh, and others like it, um, artist Ian O'Toole, and it plays one to four players in 90 to 120 minutes. 
It's pretty weighty. Uh, it's at a weight of 3.81, kind of in, in that you know medium heavy range, bordering on you know straight up heavy games. <laughs> Uh, this is a game that I played on Board Game Arena. <clears throat> if you aren't aware of its history, I thought this was pretty interesting that the um, designer and publisher, you know, the team development developing this game, posted this uh, on Board Game Arena way back last year, almost two years ago. Uh, my first play of this was February of 2021. And so this game, it while it, you know, makes sense that it was officially released this year. Uh, you know, it, it was when I was starting to listen to these lists, it was kind of a surprise to me that because this game had been available, you know, semi officially on board game arena. The reason was, is I thought it was very interesting and very, very cool that the publisher has put in the effort to put this game on board game arena for people to try out, give feedback um, as they tweaked a little bit more of the, you know, the mechanisms and, and such of the game until its full, you know, definitive release by the by this time this year. So obviously those those changes have been for the benefit with the community input on this game. Um, I, it's obviously showing in how well this game has been received by the population at hand. And so in in this game, you're basically um, mirroring the the life of of Andrew Carnegie, where you know it. In this kind of a, in a Euro type game, you're moving your office workers on these office spaces to be able to perform certain actions and insert your influence on different parts of the United States. Um, um, and so you're you're kind of playing a kind of a majority game from and this is from what I remember. But um, while you do that and collect resources and money, you get to donate that as well and gain victory points, reflecting what Carnegie did with his wealth. Now, um, you know, I'm I'm not the biggest history buff, you know, regarding Carnegie and if this game really reflects thematically what his life was all about. But mechanically, this game is is pretty sound. Um, I My first impression of it was a 7 out of 10, though. And this was, of course, based on the preliminary impressions of the game when it was first released in 2021. And so this is another game that I really want to get back into to see what people have you know, been raving about recently about this game, see what changes have been made, if if any, if there are any that I would remember. <laughs> um, but just to re-experience this game and see, um, and since it is still available on Board Game Arena anyway, to give it its fair due and give it a couple of reps and see where I land with this game and see if it, it, it does shine to me. Uh, some things that I've heard about it is that the base game in and of itself uh, can feel a little bit repetitive. Uh, there is an expansion to it, which allows for more office tiles, which kind of dictate, you know, various actions that you can take on in the game. And so with that variability um, would add the replayability to this game even more. But, you know, I, I think this is definitely a feasible game for me to try to get to 10 plays at to see where I fall in my uh, thoughts on this game. And so, yeah, so number eight is Carnegie. Number seven was Turing Machine, with a total score of 72 points, quite a bit ahead of Carnegie. It was mentioned by 11 different reviewers, and notably ranked number one by Emily from Man vs. Meeple, One Minute Board Games, and Mike Murphy from uh, The Brothers Murph. 
Dream Machine is a mathematical de- deduction game produced by uh, Le Scorpion Mask, uh, according to Board Game Geek, designed by Fabian Gridel and Johan Levitt. And it's for one to four players in a 20-minute playing time, so very easy to to get out and replay over and over again uh, with a weight of 2.35. And I think it's weighted that uh, way because of the, not necessarily the rules, but the complexity of the deduction and its mathematical approach to this because uh, you're, you're, you're basically uh, trying to find a secret code uh, before other players, so, it's, so it is competitive in, in, that, res- in, in that respect. Um, by punching, you know, using this analog computer where you have a multitude of cards with punch holes, aligning those together and trying to deduce what the correct number and, and color sequence is. And so, it, you know, it's a pretty straightforward deduction game, uh, something that I think would, I think people initially thought would just be a gimmick, but it's been implemented so well that uh, it really scratches that quick, you know, deduction itch that a lot of people have been um enjoying recently one game that is very that was very popular this year was wordle right um i never got into it but from what i hear you know you're you're basically trying to guess uh this five letter word um by you know and you have five guesses to do so by typing in different words and seeing which letters are right and so i i feel like this there's a similar vibe in this game and uh you know i i think the the gimmick or the um the analog, you know, tangible aspect of this game and how it actually works is is pretty fascinating, and I think that's what really grabbed people's attention. Um, there are, um, you know, it, they they mentioned like seven million problems from uh, that that can be you know solved by by using this mechanism, and uh, they you know release they're they're supporting it by releasing new puzzles every day, and so there is that really cool aspect of. You know, keeping up with this deduction puzzle, if, if that is something up your alley, spending, you know, a couple of minutes each day to, to try to solve a deduction puzzle, such as Wordle or Sudoku or something like that. And so I, I think it really grabbed the attention of many people. It's getting a lot of praise. And we'll see if that continues on in the years to come. But that is number seven, Turing Machine. Number six is Wayfarers of the South Tigris. This came in at 74 points. Uh, individually ranked by 10 reviewers, notably ranked by 10 individual reviewers, uh, with multiple number two rankings and even one uh, top ranking by Mike Murphy. I I apologize. Um, He did give the Fire and Ice Award, if you've checked out that video, to Turing Machine. But in his own list, he ranked it number two. um, So my bad. Uh, Turing Machine number two, and then Wayfarer's number one. Wayfarer's is a game designed by S.J. McDonald and Shem Phillips. Uh, published by Garfield Games in the same line of those medium to heavy Euro games of uh, the North Sea and the West Kingdom trilogies that have come out in years past. And so this year starts a new trilogy with Wayfarers of the South Tigris. I don't have too much to say on this game yet. Um, I do hope to try it out, uh, but from what I can gather and from what people have said, uh, this is a game that utilizes... um, uh, dice uh, selection or dice manipulation or worker placement to um, do various things, you know, collecting resources to get victory points, uh, as you would expect in a Euro game of about 3.7. Uh, so, you know, I've out of all the the games, I've I've played 
all of the West Kingdom games, and I've only played Raiders of the North Sea. My favorite has been Paladins, and I I like Paladins because of the, um, I don't, even though it is a a complex game, probably the most quote unquote crunchy out of the three West Kingdom games, and it is very multiplayer so um, solitaire, you know, as far as the gameplay is concerned. I it did speak to me the most, and it it made me feel the most clever, I should say. And I've heard a lot of people comparing Wayfarers to the depth and complexity and fun level of Paladins. And so whether whether it's interactive or not, or just because of the way that it plays, has me intrigued to try this out a little bit more than it, than it was in the past for me. Uh, and so I, I initially was not too keen on trying this out because of the dice. Uh, I... I do tend to shy away a little bit more from dice, even if, if it's dice worker placement or like you kind of roll your dice and then kind of assign them based on the outcomes there. I think if I'm having any sort of randomness added to my game, I prefer in the version of cards rather than with dice. And, and I guess I do prefer, you know, more player interaction and, and, and strategic, you know, play with low luck and, uh, et cetera. <laughs> but, um, Anyway, I, I think my, my views have changed on wanting to try this game. I, I do want to try this game more based on all of the glowing and positive feedback uh, reviews uh, from uh, from all these reviewers that are, are prominent in the media. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll probably give Wayfarers a shot. So that's number six, Wayfarers of the South Tigris. Number five is Guild of Merchant Explorers with a score of 80. It was ranked uh, individually by 13 reviewers, most notably ranked number one by Ryan of the Tantrum House, and multiple other high-ranked uh, rankings uh, in the number two and three spot, uh, number two by Rado uh, in particular. So this game is designed by Matthew Dunstan and Brett, Brett J. Gilbert of uh, Alderac Entertainment Group, AEG, uh, for one to four players playing uh, and around 45 minutes. It's, it's weighted at 2.09, so a pretty light game. And you're basically, it's basically a flip and right where you're, uh, you know, exploring a, you know, uh, exploring the map. But I, I think, I think the thing that people really, um, the, what really attracted them to this game, because it certainly wasn't the title or the look of the game, was the uh, individual player powers that you, you draw and, and can do, which are at the same you know, latitude as like voyages of Marco Polo. And so, and so I do hope I, you know, I, I do have a chance to play this game hopefully soon. Um, Jacob is in town and uh, he owns the game and uh, has said that we could play it. And so I'll, I'll definitely look forward to a shot at playing this game. Um, you know, Roland rights have been, I, I think a thing in the past couple of years, but in this year in particular for me, um, I did support a lot of roll and write, flip and write, you know, easy print and play games that were on Kickstarter and really got into those. You know, they do offer, you know, a, a very shortened, uh, crunchy experience for, for, you know, the amount of time and the amount of effort that it is to, to produce these components and, and, and games. Um, I think if you are, you know, stretched for time and, and just need a, a quick puzzle to solve, uh, that's not like a, you know, uh, a deduction puzzle such as Turing Machine, if you're looking for more of a strategic, I think, puzzle to solve, then these Roland Rights uh, in these late, you know, recent times have been 
uh, pretty good hits, and you know I've I've enjoyed uh, a majority of them. I, I typically give them a seven out of ten. Nothing too crazy to really sink my teeth into, um, but easy to replay and, and easy to bring out with with folks who don't play or aren't interested in heavier games. And so we'll see if this game holds out to me as something that is not only easy to play but offers. Uh, you know, a depth of experience to to replay it over and over again, or if it's just a, an enjoyable pastime that is fun to play with friends. And so we'll see where that lands, but I can't wait to try number five, uh, Guild of Merchant Explorers. Number four is Endless Winter with 89 points, ranked by 14 different people, and notably ranked number one by Wendy and Mike from the Dice Tower, with multiple other ranked twos and threes out there as well. Endless Winter is a game for one to four players by Stan Kordonsky, uh, published by Fantasia Games, ranging uh, from 60 to 120 minutes and a weight of 3.2. So this is another medium weight uh, kind of a deck building worker placement game uh, in the same line of Lost Runes of Arnak and Dune Imperium. However, you know, each game definitely feels different to me. And I've gone into this a little bit more in depth with a past podcast. So I do have it at first impressions of Endless Winter. But uh, so I'll once again, I'll save most of my thoughts for that. But uh, a lot of people have been really anticipating this game. And I think perhaps um, the, that anticipation has buoyed Endless Winter a little bit. Uh, to me, my experience with it was it was a good game. You know, I, I did give it a six out of ten just because it did feel I don't know. It it didn't feel as I think as challenging enough as what I was hoping it would be. Whereas the the challenge that I get, or the 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 complexity and the the crunchiness that I get from doing Imperium is a lot of the interaction that is had in between players with the combat and the you know building up of your military. In addition to doing everything else with the worker placement and deck building. In Endless Winter, I just felt like it was a kind of a conglomeration of good mechanics that um, didn't it, it, it didn't allow me to, I guess, express or or interact as much as I wanted with other play, other players, um, other than like with the worker placement and and you know racing for bonuses there. And so it it didn't on first impression jump out at me as being a, a game that I would return to multiple times, but. In the future, if this does become a little bit more available digitally and I do have a chance to, to try it out again, I, I think I will. Just because people have been having their expectations met on this game. And so that if that says anything that, you know, go with the majority and, and, and see you know that people are really enjoying this game. And um, yeah, we'll see how well it does in comparison to some of the other games that it's been uh, conglomerated with. And uh, and yeah, we'll we'll check this out again at, uh, you know, halfway through 2023. But anyway, so that's number four, Endless Winter. Number three is Revive with 91 points, ranked by 14 different people, and ranked number one by Ryan and Jeremy from Mount um, Man vs. Meeple. This is a game for one to four players, uh, designed by Helgi Meissner, Elif Svensson, Anna Wernland, Kristen Amundsen-Odsby, and published by Eporta Games. Uh, it plays in... 90 to 120 minutes and it's uh, weighted at a 3.4 which is a weight that I do enjoy the most and, and I say that um, because I knew Revive was pretty popular coming into Essen and it was one of the games that was highlighted as being a winner 
quote unquote, right? Uh, it's kind of a, a civilization industry game where you are uh, kind of exploring a map and uh, finding resources and developing your own personal board with like this machine. Uh, I, I say this very, you know, vaguely because I have not had a chance to play this game yet. And I'll be honest, it wasn't on my initial list, uh, as you can tell from past podcasts of a game that I was excited by during um, Essen. Maybe it was one of those games where, you know, people have, uh, you know, sometimes rebel against what is the hotness. And perhaps that was the case with this game for, for me. Um, I didn't think it, I, I thought it was kind of a conglomeration of of mechanisms and, and, and things that didn't really reflect thematically in what was happening. And even though that is kind of the consensus that it's, you know, the theme is somewhat just pasted on, it's more of a setting rather than a theme. Uh, the, the deck building and the tech, tre- you know, the tech trees and the variable powers really comes together in a very fun game. And so this is a, it's, it's definitely another game, of course, that I want to try and want to give a go at, uh, very similar to some of these other Euro games that are on this list, uh, such as Wayfarers and, um, and other games that I've mentioned before and, and will continue to mention, but I, you know, I do want to try the games that were on my initial list from Essen and from the, the convention season, but I'll definitely add Revive to this list too, since it's gotten, it's gotten a lot of good reviews and, and, and good praise from these prominent reviewers. So, so that's number three is Revive. Number two is Planet Unknown with 96 points ranked uh, by 15 different people, ranked number one by Rado and Allies or Enemies. This is a game for one to six players by Ryan Lambert and Adam Rayberg from Adam's Apple's Games. Adam's Apple Games. <laughs> uh, that plays in about an hour to an hour and 20 minutes, weighted at 2.23. So this game is a polyomino game where you're you have a variable, uh, every, every player has a variable planet that, that they are placing these polyomino tiles on. And the selection is mitigated or, uh, yeah, mitigated through a, a lazy Susan. And so uh, it allows for that simultaneous uh, selection of these polyominoes, which, you know, I, I, I've started to really enjoy a, a more simultaneous action um, in games uh, like like Glass Road, right? <laughs> um, but but yeah, so you're you're taking these polyomino tiles, placing them on your board, and f- uh, when you do place these on your board, you get to advance on different tracks, and which uh, you know unlocks resources, different abilities, and different ways to score points. And you have objectives, and you are you know um, placing tiles and 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 basically you know going until you can't place any more and. and triggers the end of the game whoever has the most points wins and so i did play this game solo on sovereignty which is a uh, kind of a digital adaptation uh, website where they do feature this game amongst many others uh so you can go and check it out there although with it, they rotate what games are free um in their library of games it, it is limited it's not like board game arena or anything um, but I, uh, when it did rotate to being a free game at that at that point, I did play it, and so I did enjoy it. You know, I've I've really gotten into polyomino games recently. I've really enjoyed Patchwork, and obviously loved Feast a Feast for Odin, and other you know of the Uwe Rosenberg polyomino games. 
Um, some some of them are hit and miss for me, but this one seemed to to be good. You know, even though I I don't really enjoy tracks in a game, I think I think it did make this game fun because you're adding that polyomino effect, and the the focus is not so much on the tracks. Uh, but I, I think the the main puzzle of the game is uh, where you place those tiles to maximize what you gain on the tracks, and so um, I like that fusion. And I, I like the simultaneous play. This is a fun game. And uh, this is definitely a game that I want to try a little bit more. Um, even though it is it is on the lighter end, uh, I think that polyomino puzzle aspect can create for a, a deeper experience for those who enjoy and, and find and are proficient, you know, at polyomino placement and, and um, spatial puzzling, if, if that is up your alley. And if it is, you probably all know about this game already, which is the number two game this year, Planet Unknown. And finally, the number one game, you probably have already guessed it, but it's Wonderland's War. It scored 108 points, and it was reviewed and ranked by 19 different people. Ranked number one by multiple people, including Tim Chuan, uh, Jeff and Jamie from Foster the Meeple, Grant, who is a contributor to uh, Rado and Maggie from Thinker Themer Games. Wonderland's War is a game for two to five players that plays in about 45 to 125 minutes, designed by Tim and Ben Eisner and Ian Moss, published by Druid City Games with a weight of about 2.97. And since this is a two to five player game, uh, the chances of me actually playing this game are a little bit less, but I do hope for a chance to try, try it. Uh, it, it basically takes the um, it takes like the the mechanisms from like um, Quacks of Quillingburg, right? The push push your luck bag building aspect, where you know you pull chits out of a, a bag and you're, you're kind of assembling a team to go into combat with those afterwards. And so um, that that's kind of the premise of this game in the setting of Alice in Wonderland. And so it, it seems like this is a, a you know a fun game, not just because you are um, you have the push your luck aspect of Quacks of Quinlingburg in this, but but the uh, the combat and the um, I guess area majority aspect of this game too is is um, unique and and enjoyable. And so a lot of people have been really raving about this game. Uh, this is a game that yeah I, I think will definitely be on my radar. I'm not the biggest push your luck um, person, I guess. I, I don't tend to do very well in these types of games. I, I try to play Mystic Veil vale with my wife and uh, I always lose. And so, um, you know, I, I despite that, I think it is a, a, a wonderful game and, and do look forward to a chance at playing this. And, and um, I, I trust in what people have said who have had the opportunity to sit down and play this with multiple people. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's the number one game from this year, objectively, of course, <laughs> and that is Wonderland's War. Now, do I have time to go through all the, you know, 50 plus games that were ranked by people, but I do want to mention some of the highlights from the list, particularly the games that are in spots 20 through 11. So number 20 is Marvel Dice Throne. I do. We do own Dice Throne, and that is a fun dice chucker, but it's definitely not up my alley. It's more of you know a lighthearted game. I don't know exactly what has been changed or uh, reiterated upon with Marvel Dice Throne, 
But of course, I have been getting into Marvel Snap a lot recently, and so the IP is a little bit more enticing to me. <laughs> and so that might come on our radar at some point. Number And that got a uh, 41 points total. ISS Vanguard came in at number 19 uh, with 42 points. And yeah, so this is a, more of a campaign, a long-term game where you go out and I guess it's, I, I heard a little bit about the premise of this game, which sounded really cool. It's really sci-fi. Uh, but the actual gameplay, you know, you get to upgrade your ship and, and then go out and explore, you know, certain parts of, of the, you know, of the of space and planets and things. And then uh, you're, you're following the story and campaign through the end. And so that might be fun to, to try out. But, you know, it's, it's not, once again, up my alley of games that I usually get to the table just because of, you know, time constraints and, and, the ability to play games that need to be played um, consistently and uh, longitudinally uh, in that regard. Number 43 is Foundations of Rome. Uh, this is a kind of a roll, roll and write, you know, place your place buildings on a map kind of game. Uh, obviously had not played this. It's very expensive and um, <clears throat> very, you know, overproduced, but it looks like a fun game. If there's ever a chance to play it, uh, for a lot cheaper than I would love to try it out. Number 44 is Marrakesh uh, at 40, or sorry, number 17 is Mar- Marrakesh at 44 points. <laughs> uh, St- the latest Steffenfeld game. Um, yeah, be willing to try this one out. Um, my favorite Feld games currently consists of uh, Bruges and uh, Castles of Burgundy, of course. And I think Carpe Diem. I think those would be like my top three Feld games. Um, they don't quite hit the mark like Uwe Rosenberg games do to me due to theme and, and mechanics as well. But, um, but yeah, I, I hear a lot of good things about Mary Cash and I think that'd be worth a shot. Number 16 is Flamecraft. So this notably made the number one game out of the people's choice in the dice tower. And so I think Flamecraft might be a very kind of a hit a similar way as such as like Wingspan did, maybe not to the same degree, but you know, for a game that is a little bit less weighted and, uh, you know, less rules complex, but but very, you know, approachable with the artwork and the components and, and the gameplay that a lot of people will be willing and able to try it out. You know, those who game and those who do not. Not to say that gamers need to play heavier games, but what I'm interested in is if this do, if this game does indeed offer a little bit more depth compared to... Um, above you know what is you know advertised as a you know a light game at its surface similar to wingspan right and so i'm i'm i really do want to try flamecraft and see if there is anything uh more to that game than perhaps just a a light-hearted you know um kind of introduction to some of these uh game mechanisms that we see in some heavier games number 15 is ready set bet uh, this seems like a really fun game, uh, another John D. Clare game uh, to to try out with people. Um, some of them have been hit and miss for me from him, and uh, we're, we're going to talk about another one on this list too. But yeah, Ready, Set, Bet seems like a, a fun game to play with a family that I'd be willing to try. Number 14 is Teletum, uh, with 53 points as well, so tied for the you know, 14, 15 spot, so I guess it... <laughs> On this list, it you know, I guess it's tied. Ready, set, bet, and Teletum are, are tied. But um, yeah, you know, this is a a game once again, you know, in the T series of of 
<clears throat> medium to heavy Euro games that I thought at first was just going to be another iteration on like Teotihuacan and some of those other games that I haven't really been uh, too excited to try on my own. Uh, but I've obviously heard some really good things about this game and and people are saying that it's, you know, very, very good despite its, you know, beige theme and and pretty uh, standard <laughs> rule set for, for a Euro game. So, so yeah. Uh, number 13 is Dead Reckoning with 55 points. Another John D. Clare game. Uh, this is a pirate-themed game where it's utilizing the card-crafting system that I mentioned before in Mystic Veil and, and doing things that pirates do. Sailing around, exploring the ocean, combating, um, you know, combat with uh, with other pirates and merchants and, uh, you know, picking up goods and, and you know, using them to buy up upgrades that you would use on your crew members. And so I like the premise of this game. I like what it's offered. It's very, it seems very, you know, wide open and kind of sandboxy as far as how to score. It's kind of got a, a scoring system similar to Scythe where you reach certain milestones. And as soon as someone gets enough milestones and the game end is triggered and so yeah uh, i think this is a fun game i want to try it solo at first and then see if it's you know up our gaming group's alley to try it out even more so that's number 13 dead reckoning number 12 is oathsworn uh, another gloom gloomhaven-esque game i think where it combines a kind of a campaign fantasy dungeon crawl type of you know boss battler type experience with a innovative card um, battling system, right? Uh, not the same as Gloomhaven, but I think it's it's kind of up that alley as well. Another game that is longitudinal and not something that I would be able to play, you know, a couple of times and call it good. And so I don't think I'll have the chance to try it out anytime soon, but that's it's done remarkably well on Kickstarter. And uh, yeah, seems like a fun game. So that's number 12. And then number 11 is Woodcraft at number six or at number 11 was 63 points. So it barely missed being number 10, uh, beat out by heat by one point. But Woodcraft is, un, it's probably one of the games that I want to try out the most, uh, as evident by my podcast earlier this year. And, you know, a lot of people are really enjoying this game. Um, I really enjoy Messina 1347 from last year and Underwater Cities, of course. I'll, I'll do a, re a review about that pretty soon after 10 plays. And yeah, I think I, I like what Woodcraft is doing with with dice. You know, I, I think this is something that I could find myself approaching a little bit easier is is using dice to like um, add up their pips for resources and, and being able to use that to complete sets and, and orders and things like that. And so. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to try this game. And uh, in the past couple of weeks, the Woodcraft, Woodcraft Roll and Write had been announced and is available for free as a print and play. And so um, I think I'll check that out first while I wait for a chance to, to play Woodcraft on my own. So yeah, uh, other than that, you know, number 21, since there was a tile, I'll just mention Lacrimosa and Terracotta Army. Both got uh, 36 points and would have been, you know, in that list as well, if you count uh, Teletum and Ready Set Bet as one entry and, and tied for number 14. Uh, so, so those barely made missed the list, but are still uh, good games there. Uh, probably as of this moment, my favorite game from this last year was Mosaic, 
which came in at number, uh, it had 33 points. Um, it's actually tied with Green Team Wins, which <laughs> is a party game that um, is, I guess, not my first choice, but uh, it's funny that they are ranked similarly. Uh, ranked number uh, 20, one, two, three, four, five, six, number 26 on the list. So um, other games that I find uh, that I, that left a really good uh, impression to me that I had the chance to play uh, during this year that is on this list. I'm quickly looking through it right now. Um, oh, what is it? So, oh, so Scout is one that I want to try that had 27 points. Um, Frosthaven is at 18 points. I'm, I'm sure Frosthaven will, will jump up in ranking once people have had even more time to try it out as well. Uh, Wingspan Asia was a notable expansion that got many, many mentions. It's it had 16 points. Um, War of the Ring is one that I want to try. I got 13 points. Applejack, of course, by, uh, by Uwe Rosenberg is one that I will try. 13 points there. Ottawa was, was ranked as well on a list, but it's pretty far down just because of availability, I think. And that's at number that that got three points. So, <laughs> so there's that beer and bread also two points there. Um, so, so some of these games that I've been wanting to try out from the Essen uh, timeline, you know, are are making this list maybe not to the same extent as some others like Revive and 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 other games like that. And so, uh, you know, we'll we'll see how things shake out uh, halfway next year when games have had a chance to come to the tables to to most everyone and everyone gets to rank those on board game geek if if they so desire and so once again i'll I'll just leave with the caveat that even though i you know label this as an objective list it's more of just a compilation of of reviews of subjective reviews by by reviewers who've had the chance to play these games and others to compare them to maybe more so than me personally and maybe you as well um, maybe, maybe for you, you've had a chance to really explore a lot of these games yourself and compare them to, you know, some of the other games that have been released this year. And your list is different just based off of taste and, and experience. And that's totally fine. But, you know, I thought it'd be fun just to kind of compile what many of these, um, prominent names in board game media had to say about their impressions of these games from this year and see where they they lay you know as of now and and we'll reapproach this later um but yeah i had a lot of fun to, you know preparing for this episode i hope you found it enjoyable and i'd love to hear what your favorite games from this year were and so if you want to uh, interact and and leave a comment on what your favorite games are you can do so at the board game geek uh, blog post uh, that's where I do most of my uh, board game searches and interactions. And so I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. But I really appreciate you sticking around to the end. Um, you've been listening to The Game Doctor. And hope you schedule re, uh, schedule an appointment with The Board Game Doctor real soon uh, for additional content. And uh, have a happy new year. And here's the best of 2023. Take care.